Acts chapter 13, we're going to begin reading at verse 32. We're kind of picking up in the middle of the story, and we're just going to read a little segment of it, and I'll try to fill in the blanks as we go along, okay? Acts 13, beginning at verse 32. Let's read. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for our time together as we've joined in worship and we've sensed your presence. And now I just ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to us that you will give us ears to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching, and that those things will be life-changing, life-transforming. Let faith rise in the hearts of your people today, I pray. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Draw them back to you, O Lord. Do what you need to do to get them back in right relationship with you. Don't let one of them be lost, I pray. Thank you for hearing our prayer. We pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. At the beginning of this series, I've been preaching through the book of Acts. I told you that verse 8 of chapter 1 gives us an outline for the layout of the book. In that first chapter, Jesus told the disciples to go back to Jerusalem and wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, after being filled with the Spirit, he told them in verse 8, they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. The first seven chapters of Acts records ministry events in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 tell of ministry in Judea and Samaria. That brings us to today's text in chapter 13, which begins the last section of the outline where the gospel message moves out of the narrow confines of Israel and begins to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. As chapter 13 opens, we are introduced to a church of believers in the city of Antioch. 
One day, as these believers are meeting together in fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit speaks and says in verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And thus begins the first missionary journey of this evangelistic team. They set sail, and everywhere they go, they are preaching the good news of Jesus. They land at a place called Paphos, and there they meet a proconsul by the name of Sergius Paulus, who is described as a man of intelligence. However, when they try to witness to him, they are opposed by a man named Elymas, also called Bar-Jesus, who is identified as a sorcerer. Through the spiritual gift of discernment, Paul recognizes the source of the opposition as demonic. He rebukes this sorcerer and pronounces a judgment upon him that he will not be able to see. And the Bible says a mist and darkness fell upon him immediately, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. You don't want to mess with God. I'm just, just telling you right now, okay? As a result of this power demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the compelling teaching concerning things of the Lord, the Bible says the proconsul became a believer. Continuing on their journey, Paul and Barnabas came to Perga in Pamphylia. It was there that the young traveling companion, John Mark, became discouraged and abandoned the team. Later, this would become a point of major contention between Paul and Barnabas, leading to a disagreement so heated it would result in the team splitting up and Barnabas and Paul going separate ways. But, but that is for another time. Back to our story. Barnabas and Paul continued on and came to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue to worship. Following the reading of the scriptures, the synagogue officials invited them to address the congregation. And the text we read a few moments ago is part of Paul's message that he brought to them. As I was preparing for this message today, I began to think about all the things Paul could have talked about when he was invited to speak. You know, he could have just brought some news from their fellow Jewish relatives in Jerusalem. He could have talked about the kind of trip they had experienced until that point, you know, kind of given them a mini travel log. He could have talked about the power encounter between Elymas and him and how God had shown himself to be superior to the demonic force. He could have talked about the disappointment he and Barnabas felt at the defection of John Mark. I mean, there's a lot he could have said. But when given an opportunity to speak to the people, Paul had one thing on his mind as the most important subject, the priority of the gospel. As you look at his message, you find him focusing on the good news that is foundational to the gospel message. And it is this good news I want to talk to you about today. The very first part of this good news tells us God always has a plan. Why don't you just look over at somebody and tell them, God, God has a plan right now. God always has a plan. When Paul begins his message in verse 16, he starts with Israel in Egypt and talks about how God delivered his people from bondage. The truth is, he could have started at any point in history and made the same observation that God always has a plan. He could just as easily have started in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. God created them in his image and his likeness. He had in mind an idyllic existence. But you know the story. The serpent tempted 
and Adam and Eve fell, it looked like all was forever lost, but God had a plan. The seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. An animal was killed to provide atonement for sin, and the skin was used to provide a covering so the result of sin would not be seen. God had a plan. Paul could just as easily have started with Abraham. He was called from Ur of the Chaldeans and given a promise he would be the father of a great nation. Abraham left that country and traveled to a place God would show him, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. It looked like the promise would never be realized. Abraham and his wife Sarah were an old couple, and there were still no children. But God had a plan. God caused life to return to a dead womb. And to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, Isaac, laughter was born because God had a plan. He could have started with Joseph. He's a teenage boy with a dream, but his brothers despise him and throw him into a pit intending to kill him. <laughs> but God had a plan. The Ishmaelites are on the horizon, and instead of death, Joseph gets sold into slavery. Taken into Egypt, he finds himself in the house of Potiphar. He's being blessed and is so successful, he becomes the trusted servant in Potiphar's household. It looks like this is going to work, but Mrs. Potiphar won't leave him alone. Falsely accused with his coat in Mrs. Potiphar's hands as circumstantial evidence, Joseph is thrown into Pharaoh's prison, and there he languishes, and it looks like the dream is dead, but God had a plan. He's a model prisoner, and pretty soon is helping run the place. One night, the butler and the baker, who have also been thrown into prison, both have dreams that he accurately interprets. Joseph pleads with them to remember him when they are brought before Pharaoh. But no sooner does he get his hopes up than he is forgotten once again, and another two years go by with him behind bars. Just when it looks like there's no possible way for the dream to be realized, Joseph discovers God has a plan. In one day, he is elevated from the prison to the palace. In one day, he is exalted from prisoner to prime minister. Years later, when he is the instrument used to save his entire family, he has heard testifying to his brothers what we were singing in worship not too long ago. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. See, God has a plan. After the death of Joseph, it looked like Israel was going to be destroyed in Egypt, <laughs> but God had a plan. A stuttering 80-year-old sheep herder named Moses walked into the court of Pharaoh and demanded, the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and it looked like the entire enterprise was doomed to failure before it ever got off the ground, but God had a plan. The Passover lamb was slain. The blood was applied to the entrance of the dwelling places. The death angel destroyed all the firstborn of the Egyptians, but passed over the Israelites. The people of God were delivered because God had a plan. Paul goes on to preach about King Saul in his message. You remember King Saul? You remember he started out on a good path, but very quickly turned aside from obediently following the Lord. It, like, it looked like the whole kingly enterprise was going to be dismantled before it had a chance to develop. <laughs> but God had a plan. 
There was a shepherd boy out in the field tending the sheep of his father. The prophet Samuel was sent with a horn of oil to anoint him as the next king. From that day, David began to grow and develop and mature. At the appointed time, he ascended the throne and ruled as a man after God's heart because God had a plan. I'm telling you from the first man and woman, through the time of the patriarchs, through the judges, through the kings, Through the prophets, no matter how difficult the problem, no matter how strong the opposition, God has always had a plan. And what I'm trying to help you understand in this story is that the same God who had a plan for Adam, the same God who had a plan for Abraham, the same God who had a plan for Joseph, the same God who had a plan for Moses, the same God who had a plan for David is the same God who still has a plan and he has a plan for your life today. Yes, he does. Everything may argue against it. It may look like the plan is nothing more than a pipe dream. It may appear the vision has forever vanished. It may seem there are too many negatives and too many dead ends and too many false starts and too many erasures for the plan to ever come to fruition. It may seem like what you're going through right now spells the end of the plan. But just when it looks like it's all over, that's when you need to remember God still has a plan plan. What you're in right now is not the demise. It's only the beginning of the next part of the plan. There is still another chapter to be written. There is still another verse to be sung. There is still another movement to be played. There is still another scene to be acted. God isn't finished. He's still working. God has a plan. The reason you're having such a hard time seeing and believing God's plan is because his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. See, his ways are much higher than yours. His thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. Make no mistake about it. God has a plan. His plan is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. His plan is Isaiah 43, verses 1, 2, and 3. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Here's his plan. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. His plan is Philippians 1, 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm telling you today, God hasn't given up on you. Don't you give up on God. God has a plan. Not only does God always have a plan, but then we see God's plan is directed toward a purpose. God's plan isn't an empty plan. There is always a purpose behind God's plan. See, since the beginning of time, God has been working a plan toward one end. That end is redemption and restoration. All the way from chapter 3 of the book of Genesis to the end of chapter 22 of the book of the Revelation, the theme of the Bible is God working to bring redemption and restoration. 
Humanity starts with it all in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Humanity loses it all in Genesis chapter 3. But before chapter 3 is over, God is already working to help us regain it all. And by the end of the book, it's all restored. This purpose is what Paul is preaching about in verses 38 and 39 of our text when he says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Listen, right now, God is working his plan in your life. Some of you are looking at me like, "Uh, I'm not sure you got it right that time, Pastor. Oh, yeah. Right now, God is working his plan in your life. He's working it in such a way that you are being conformed to the image of his own dear son. He's working his plan so your character is fully formed. See, you don't understand. God is much more interested in your character than he is your comfort. He's working his plan so that the stuff you're going through isn't going to crush you, it's going to strengthen you. Right now, you you may not even know it, but you are experiencing the truth of Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. God's doing that in your life right now. That detour you had to take, God's using it for your good. That valley you went through, God's using it for your good. That mountain you had to climb, God's using it for your good. That dead end you had to turn around on, God's using it for your good. That heartache you endured, God's using it for your good. That disappointment you faced, God's using it for your good. That sorrow you bore, God's using it for your good. That pain you experienced, God is using it for your good. That loss you suffered, God is using it for your good. All the loneliness and the doubt and the fear and the anxiety, God is taking all of that, and he, you don't know how he's going to do it, but that's why he's God and you're not. He's using it for your good. There is not one moment wasted by God, but he's using it all for a divine purpose in your life. The purpose God is working right now is Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The purpose God is working right now is Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication and has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And the threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. 
Then watch this, what God says about his purpose that he's working. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I set among you. And you shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and I I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people will never be put to shame. I'm telling you the purpose God is working right now is Revelation 21 and 5. Behold, I am making all things new. I wish somebody would give him praise in this house today if you believe that. I'm about to bless myself. God has a plan. God's plan is directed toward a purpose. I need to hasten to tell you God's plan and purpose are fulfilled in and through a person. As Paul is preaching his message, he uses the first seven verses as introduction and setup for the main point. But as quickly as possible, he gets to the main theme, Jesus. The rest of his message is the good news that God's plan and God's purpose are fulfilled in and through his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. What I want you to understand is that not only is God's plan for the ages fulfilled in Jesus, but God is fulfilling his plan for your life through the ministry of Jesus. See, I'm here to proclaim that your salvation is in Jesus. Your help is in Jesus. Your hope is in Jesus. Your healing is in Jesus. Your deliverance is in Jesus. Your provision is in Jesus. Your comfort is in Jesus. Your peace is in Jesus. Your joy is in Jesus. Your restoration is in Jesus. Your confidence is in Jesus. Your destiny is in Jesus. Your past is in Jesus. Your present is in Jesus. Your future is in Jesus. Your life is in Jesus. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. Jesus Christ is all and in all. There is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. There is hope for tomorrow. There is help for today in no other name than the name of Jesus. All that you need, you will find in Jesus. God has a plan. That plan has as its purpose your redemption and restoration. The place you're going to find the fulfillment of that plan is when you turn to Jesus. We got people turning to a lot of different places, trying to find that satisfaction, trying to find the peace, trying to find the fulfillment that they desperately long for. I don't know why they won't at least try Jesus. You tried everything else. Come on, somebody. You tried everything else, and it didn't work. So I've got one more thing for you to try. In fact, I dare you. I 
double dog dare you. Try Jesus. That's where you will find fulfillment is in Jesus. It is Jesus who is bread to the hungry. It is Jesus who is water to the thirsty. It is Jesus who is rest to the weary. It is Jesus who is strength to the weak. It is Jesus who is light to the dark. It is Jesus who is calm to the storm. It is Jesus who is friend to the friendless. It is Jesus who is hope to the hopeless. It is Jesus who is freedom to the bound. It is Jesus who is deliverance to the oppressed. He is the way when there seems to be no way. He is the truth to those who are in the place of confusion. He brings new life to that place that feels dry and desolate and dead. Jesus is the burden bearer. Jesus is the load lifter. Jesus is the way maker. Jesus is the peace speaker. Jesus is the sin canceler. Jesus is the life giver. Why don't you just try Jesus? Well, I tried him, and I found his promises are true. He's everything he said that he would be. The finest words I know could not begin to tell just how much Jesus really means to me. For he's more wonderful than my mind can conceive. He's more wonderful than my heart can believe. He goes beyond my fondest hopes and wildest dreams. He's everything that my soul ever longed for, everything he's promised. And so much more, more than amazing, more than marvelous, more than miraculous could ever be. He's more than wonderful. That's what Jesus is to me. Here's what I know. I know people that have been in the church for a long time and then they give up on it, walk away from it. And when you talk to them, they'll say, no, I tried that. You know what they tried? They tried church and they tried religion. They didn't really try Jesus. Now, I like to think that the church is gonna help you get to Jesus. And I like to think that the religious expression is going to help you. But that's not Jesus. When you really turn to Jesus, everything will change. 
See, what they did is they tried to keep the rules of the church. They tried to act the way they thought good little church people ought to act. Come on. They, they, tried, they, tried to, they tried to fit in to the way the church culture said we're supposed to do things. But that's not Jesus. Uh-uh. There's a, there's a difference in really developing the relationship with Jesus. It isn't about, well, we, we made sure that we checked off this box and we checked off that box and we, you know, we went down through the list and we got all the boxes checked. And folks have got this idea, well, okay, you know, I, 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 I attended church and I got involved in all the things of the church and I paid my tithes and offering and I helped other people out and I, you know, I was this good little boy or good little girl and, and therefore God's going to bless me and I'm not going to have any more problems. No, that's not Jesus. And that's not life. And that's not realistic. Come on, somebody, get real. Because Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have some problems. You're going to have some stuff to deal with. But be of good courage. I've overcome the world. He never promised to keep us out of the fire, but he promised he'd go with us in the midst of the fire. And he promised that he would protect us in the midst of it. He promised that he would be the help in time of trouble. He promised he would be the support, the strength. That's Jesus. Right now. Jesus stands with his arms outstretched, inviting whosoever will to come to him, to fall upon his grace, receive his forgiveness and mercy, receive his help at the point of your need. The good news of Jesus is not just for a first century world. It's for you today. Right now, the Lord stands with arms open wide and says to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not, not, not come to a tradition, not come to a denomination, not come to a creed. Come to Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. God has a plan for you. God's plan has a purpose of redemption and restoration. God's plan and purpose are fulfilled in and through a person, the Lord Jesus, as you turn to him in faith and trust.